Well, think about a time that you have been hurt by someone's words. Probably not hard for any of us to do. Think about a time that you have hurt somebody else with your words. Also, probably not hard to do. And then expand that a little bit and think about the times that you've seen words tear apart relationships and and min- ministries and businesses and extended families and homes, movements and causes, even churches. It's it's humbling to acknowledge how often that we see this even in churches, right? Life is full of such breaking of relationships. And a lot of times, of course, our our actions are to blame as well. But if you were to, if certain words were not to have been said, or perhaps more importantly, if other words were said, surely much of our breakdown in relationships and our divisions could have been avoided and reconciliation could have been accomplished. Our our words, if we are honest, have the power to bring great encouragement and help and do a lot of good and also to bring great harm and 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 hurt. When writing his letter, James is very passionate about the unity and fellowship between Christians. He's absolutely convinced that the unity and fellowship and love amongst Christians within churches should look different than what's out in the world. And not just that it should, but that we have everything we need, all the motivation and and power we need to actually do this in the gospel, in what God has done for us. And so last week, we saw James plead with the the believers, plead with the church to show no partiality or to not not show favoritism, to not say, well, you value more than than you. Uh, You deserve more attention than you do, to not use the world's standards and value systems when judging one another. Today, he continues to admonish the church towards a different kind of unity and fellowship by focusing on our words, the importance of taming the tongue or using our words wisely. And I, I don't know, if you're like me, I, I, I admit that when I come across passages like this um, about the importance of our words, part of me sometimes thinks, well, is this exaggeration? Are words really that important? You know, perhaps we buy into the mantra, even if just a little bit, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words cannot hurt us. But as we get older and you you observe yourself and the relationships you've been a part of and you observe other relationships, you see that words have actually done quite a big deal of both good and bad. And they've left quite a big effect on you And surely our words have left quite a bit of effect on others. And we see this in God's word that he brings this subject up quite a bit. And so we are wise to to heed it. So that's what we'll do today. We're going to start at chapter 3, 
verse 1, we'll go through verse 13, and then we're going to cover just two verses in chapter 4 that uh, relate to this. Okay, so chapter 3, verse 1, we'll start, says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, this is the only mention of teaching and teachers in this passage. Um, that's not the specific uh, point of this whole passage. However, it makes sense, right? Because teachers have a role of using their words quite a bit and exercising quite a bit of influence with their words. And so if words have the immense power to build up or tear down, teachers, James says, should be extremely careful, if not even fearful, of their position and their influence. Teaching is good. We need teachers. We need teachers of God's words. However, we should not rush into it. We should proceed cautiously and carefully and fearfully. Um, if that is a desire we have, that can be a good thing. But we should allow God's wisdom, the wisdom and influence of others and all of this to, um, to influence us in that. But then James quickly moves from teaching specifically to the topic of speech and our words in general. Verse 2 says this, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. For we all stumble in many ways. Uh, sometimes you get these, these uh, admissions or just blatant statements in Scripture of our, of our depravity. For we all stumble in many ways. Just these honest admissions of the, the depths with which sin, even as believers, still affects us against which we struggle. We can sometimes have the tendency to think of like, well, I, I need help, I need grace in this area of my life, but I've got these areas taken care of pretty well. But the ways that we sin and stumble are many. We, sin affects our desires, our motivations, our thoughts, our fears, our doubts, our loves which is not meant to leave us languishing and despairing, but is meant to drive us over and over again to the sufficiency of God's grace in Jesus. We are to daily, time and time again, depend on that for our hope and our identity when we realize again that we stumble in many ways. We need the cross every day. But because of the cross, we are called and empowered and freed to glorify God with our lives. Not just to sit back and say, well, grace, let grace abound so that, let sin abound so that grace may cover it all. No, we are called to glorify God with our lives, including with our words. And so James says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So, James is a good preacher. He gives us these analogies. Just like you, uh, you put a bit in a horse's mouth, and that little bit controls the horse. The whole 
the whole horse. Similarly, uh, the tiny little rudder on a huge container ship controls the direction of the ship. Similarly, our tongues, when you, when you look at our bodies, you might think like somebody that doesn't know what it's like to be a human. Yeah, it's just a little, little organ in there. doesn't do much. But James says it exercises much more power and significance and influence than you would think. We seem to be more prone to sin and to hurt others with our tongue than perhaps any other part of our body. More than that, James says that our tongues, our words, are something like a window into our hearts. That if we, whatever we show by the words we say, uh, gives gives a window into what else is going on. So if we show self-control and wisdom and love in our words, it likely reveals what is deeper down in us. And this is the line of thought that Jesus goes with as well, that James is surely drawing on. Jesus said, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. But then, Jesus goes a step deeper says what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness slander these are what defile a person and so our words are they, they display the condition of our hearts they are one of the the fruit of what the real condition of our hearts is actually like. And so if this is the case, what do your words reveal about you? What is being communicated and displayed about yourself and your heart by what you say? Are we revealing that we love people? Are we revealing that the grace and patience of God towards us has had an effect and we show that same grace and patience towards others? With our words, we have a significant ability to tear others down or build them up. And then James dives into this a little bit more and helps give some context to how exactly this happens. So starting at verse 5b, chapter 3, verse 5b, says, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So with those last uh, analogies, he's, he's just showing that these things don't belong together. Just as praising God and saying that you love God, but then cursing people don't belong together. And that's the specific use of the tongue that James is, is beginning to press into here, is cursing people who are made in the likeness of God. Using our words to, to tear others down. And then we're going to cover two more other verses that help explain what he has in mind here. So in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Um, that term could be translated slander. So slandering. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Um, so as we try to understand what James is getting at here, there's three terms we're given. Cursing one another speaking evil or slandering one another, and then judging one another. I propose that the big idea here is a slander that leads to condemnation. Is, is this connection between slander, which actually causes us to condemn one another. So, to slander someone means to make false or damaging statements about them. So either you say something that is just not true or at least unverifiable about someone or you say something that is true but your aim is to harm, to bring them down, to diminish them. So some examples, gossip, clearly, um, Gossip disguised as care and prayer requests. There's a lot of ways that we disguise gossip, right? Passive-aggressive comments. Failure to acknowledge someone so we can sin by not speaking. Lack of words where we ought to put words. Quickness to argue. Subtle comments made about someone that even if everyone in the room agrees, we, we know are not building up. And James holds nothing back in the language that he uses to talk about this, right? This pretty a striking passage. Deadly poison, a stain on our whole body. The author of Proverbs similarly holds nothing back in describing uh, our words and the, and the harm they can bring. Proverbs 18 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. In contrast, words used wisely and lovingly also have great power and, and influence, right? It's not just that we, we try to, you know, maybe we just don't speak at all. Maybe we just stop using words and then we can love people, but that's not the answer. 
there is a positive use of words that is good. I love what Proverbs 25:11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now, I don't know how you feel about apples of gold in a setting silver, but you get the point. This is a very pleasant, fitting thing. Similarly, it is like there is a, a perfect word or set of words for each situation we are in. And we have this challenge to figure out what they are, which is something you learn, um, of course, in part by experience, but also by giving yourself to God's word, learning what is true and right and beautiful by fearing God more than you fear man and being able to say not just what makes people feel good in the moment, but what is actually leading to building them up. Patience, wisdom, all of these things. And clearly we, there are different ways to struggle with this, right? So if you're like me, for most of my life, I have, um, I have been a little bit quieter. And if I ever, like, I don't fear silence. I'm not uncomfortable with silence. If, if I've ever, if I'm ever have any doubt about what to say or an unsure what to say, I just don't say anything. And so for those of you like me, the challenge is actually caring enough and trusting that God wants to use you enough to actually throw some words out there. And take a risk. And sure, you say some foolish things and some harmful things at times, but you also say some helpful things. For others of us, the struggle is much the opposite. Words are just coming out of your mouth every time there's a chance. You Maybe you feel the need to fill up silence. And many of those words are like apples of gold in a, what was the, in a setting of silver. But many of them are some other analogy. They are not. And so for you, the challenge is to, as James says earlier in his letter, be quick to listen, slow to speak, exercise patience and prayerfulness and intentionality in your words. And then James connects this idea of slander to judging. And I think this is perhaps the most significant part of this passage in understanding how slander is akin to or connected to judging or condemning or cursing. So what does he mean? Well, whenever we find the word judge in scripture or judging in scripture, we always have to, we're wise to just pause and consider what's being meant because there are various ways that we judge, some good and some bad. So there is a kind of judging that is simply discerning between what is good and right, evil and wrong. And that is good and we ought to always do that. There's also a kind of judging that the church ought to do when someone who claims Christ demonstrates unrepentance towards obvious significant sin such that it begins to call into question the genuineness of their faith. And the church, the intent of this kind of judging by the church is to warn, to love, and to call them back to faithfulness. But there's also a judging that is applying a law or standard or expectation to another that is different than the standard God has given us. That is requiring others to live by a standard of works when God, when we live by a standard of grace. We make much of their sin, 
and give them little room for grace. We want to define them by their sin while we accept an identity, a definition by God's grace. And this seems to be something of the use here, especially connected with the mention of curse in chapter 3. And James says that there is only one who gets to do this. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he is able to both save and destroy. So, in other words, I don't think it's putting it too strongly to, to say that in our slandering of one another, we are attempting to play God or to do something that only God can do. We are attempting to apply a law to be the lawgiver, to be the judge, but then refusing the, the grace of God's salvation to them. We are refusing We are requiring them to live up to a law that we cannot even live up to and refusing to offer them the grace that we depend on every day. And here's one reason this matters so much. When we push others away through our words, or other ways, but through our slander and tearing down and and gossip and, and all of these ways, when we refuse them or push them away from the community of faith, we are communicating, whether intentionally or not, that they don't belong here. And again, whether intended or not, when we communicate that they don't belong here, we are communicating that they perhaps do not belong in the kingdom of God. We tend to downplay the role of the church community and of church communities like ours in communicating something about God and the kingdom of God. We tend to downplay that we have a role in God's purpose of witnessing and displaying something about God. Um, and we, one of the reasons we tend to downplay is, this is because there's so many other churches out there. And if somebody gets hurt here or we offend somebody, well, they can just go find a church that fits them better. And they can, and maybe they will, but still, God's design is that the way that we speak to one another and act towards one another and welcome one another or not is meant to communicate something about God and his kingdom and his people, for better or for worse. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So how are they going to know that you are his disciples when our theology is perfect across the board, when our church building looks a lot better than it did last week, when we have awesome music and all of this stuff? No, it is by our love for one another. Our belonging to God is made known by the way we love one another. And this is why James is exhorting believers to tame their tongue. The overriding concern here in James and throughout James is the character of the church that is displayed. That the church would be free of, um, as he goes on to say, earthly, unspiritual, demonic ways of the world. Jealousy, selfish ambition, coveting, fighting, quarreling. And that the church would instead display a wisdom from above a different kind of community and fellowship and love.
So what does this look like? First, what does this look like in, we can apply this in various ways, but what does this look like in our church? Um, do we even gather with one another in ways and regularly enough to display this? Again, one way to respond to this would just be, well, I don't really, I don't really like people, so I don't really gather with people, and therefore I never say anything mean against people. No, it is good and loving to gather with people and to actually be put in situations where you're going to hurt them and you're going to be hurt and you have to work through that. I would say even just in our small talk on Sunday mornings, we have opportunities to, to speak words that build up, to speak words in the first place and welcome one another, to, if you are able, coming a bit early, staying a bit afterwards, to to fellowship and extend grace to one another. But also, we need more opportunities than just what we have Sunday mornings. We, we need to be in each other's lives and have the opportunities to use words to build up in, in all of this. So we encourage you all, you know, we give, we provide some opportunities for this. Encourage you all to be in uh, men's and women's studies or small groups or other ways that you can be involved in the life of the church. What does this look like within our homes, within our marriages, within our parenting? As with many matters of character, homes are where this often gets put to the test the most, right? Our homes are like testing grounds that reveal what's in our hearts and, and who we really are. But there are opportunities to, to grow in this as well. Sometimes we feel the need to vent about difficult relationships. I'm sure you all can relate. Um, and I think there are healthy and unhealthy ways to do that. Is our intent in, in doing that to actually learn to love, to actually assess our own hearts and move towards a difficult person? Or is it to just excuse ourselves to get other people to agree with us and to move away from them? And of course, we, we'd be amiss to fail to mention online speech. Yes, speech online counts as speech. Is what we, the words we say online, are they, is that a different character than we show in person? Or are we continuing to reveal and, and, and using words to love and build up in those spaces as well? And finally, what about in our hearts? So perhaps we don't find ourselves slandering out loud all too often, but in our hearts are we tearing others down, believing things that excuse us from loving others in our hearts. Do not speak evil against one another. Instead, Positively, aim to love one another with the same love that God has extended to you. And, and what that means is that the reason we don't speak evil against one another isn't that there's nothing evil to say about one another. There is something evil to say about all of us. 
we have no we provide no shortage of opportunities to for others to speak evil against us you will always have opportunities no rather the reason we ought not speak evil against one another is because god knows everything about us and still welcomes us and works for our good as we just talked about with the kids in all things because of his blood-bought grace he he doesn't judge us day by day based on how we're doing but by his grace and he works everything for our good and so our call is to extend the same grace to one another most of all when they least deserve it most of all when there are plentiful opportunities to tear down and disparage and and cut people with our words We are to make much of the saving grace of God, not just in speaking about it, but also in extending it and showing it to those closest to us. Let's pray.